New York City-based violist Martha Mook is considered to be one of the pioneers of electric stringed instrument performance. On a recent trip to Los Angeles for the ASCAP conference, she sits down to chat with Yamaha Strings product manager Heather Mansell. Please join us for this podcast interview while Heather talks to Martha about her fascinating, award-winning career as one of the trailblazers in electric string. Welcome to the latest podcast. This is Heather Mansell. I'm the product manager for Strings, and today I'm speaking with Martha Mook, who's been a longtime Yamaha artist. How are you, Martha? I'm great. I'm here in L.A. Yeah, we're Not here. so sunny L.A. That's right. Surprisingly, it's, there's looming clouds, but we can see some sun in the distance. Great. But welcome to uh, California. You live in New York City? Yes. And you work in New York City, but traveling all the time? Traveling a, a lot of time, but a lot of time in New York City. New York City is the center of my musical universe. <laughs> As are many artists based in New York, um, but you're here in LA, and uh, tell us why you're here. Uh, the main reason I'm here is to attend the ASCAP I Create Music Expo. This is the second year that they're they're doing this um, conference. I guess it's international. Like there's people from from all over the world, and it's just composers and writers and publishers um, getting together, attending panels and sessions and networking and sharing their music and um, listening to some great music, going to concerts and schmoozing and having a good time. And what is your role in all of this as a composer slash musician? Well, I'm, I'm very involved in ASCAP. Uh, several years ago I created and I co-produced a, a new music um, showcase series called Through the Walls that features composer performers that um, do music that defines categorization and so it's been New York based since uh, 2001 when uh, we did the first one and so I'm out here spreading the word on that to try to bring it out here as well and um, just uh, just spreading spreading the the music and the good vibes, I guess. Are you playing at all on this trip? No, I left all my instruments at home on this trip. Um, I'm also, I've also been able to schedule some meetings. Uh, in fact, I had a meeting with a filmmaker yesterday who uh, has used some of my music in his film. So we were talking about that. And uh, it's a thing you do in L.A., I guess. I guess so. <laughs> Well, it's both, I guess, yeah, it's a music city of both composers and players. Last time you were here, you were on the Barbara Streisand tour. Yes, yeah, we were um, rehearsing here, and, and we went and did the, uh, the national tour, and our last concert was out here at the Staples Center. Yeah, I remember sitting up with you in your hotel room and looking out over the 405 freeway and <laughs> just saying, please come to me. <laughs> it, uh, it was all a good thing. <laughs> So you've worked with uh, some incredible artists over the years, including David Bowie, Philip Glass. Yep. Um, how has this influenced your playing or approach to playing music? Well, I mean, I have been so fortunate to play with some of these amazing artists. And, you know, with each one that I work with, I, I gain a whole lot, if nothing more than just the experience of, of working with them and seeing how they 
um, approach making their music, which informs me of maybe another way of looking at how I approach my music, um, how they deal with, with the musicians um, general, generally um, with lots of respect for the musicians that are playing their music. And um, sometimes it, there is give and take involved. When I worked with David Bowie on his album uh, Heathen, we spent a lot of time, a lot of give and take, and ultimately, you know, he said, can you do this? And we would try to do that. And, um, you know, when I work with Philip Glass, it's pretty much play the notes as it is. And uh, so would you, with each different, uh, different artists, there's different ways. And the key, uh, I always say, is flexibility. And that's really important in this day and age. And Do you think as a string player that's a, especially a challenge and maybe not as a keyboard player or more of a traditional jazz musician in terms of a trumpet or something like that where that's very quite specific but as a string player? I think it's, you know, it's just musicianship across mm -hmm. the board and the key is to be able to play in lots of different styles because I, you know I've gone into recording sessions and sometimes the music is all printed out and you just follow the click track and play exactly what's there. And then other times I've gone in, I've done some rap and hip hop records and, and they say, well, you know, can you play something like this? And they'll just sing me, a, you know, a line or an idea and I'll, you know, I'll have to try to imitate what they're doing or, you know, right on the spot, they'll say, they'll play the track for me and say, well, can you make up a line for this? You know, and, and I'll have to improvise something on the spot. Does it feel like pressure or just something that you do, that you've learned somehow inherently? It's, well, you, it's, um, it's an art you have to learn uh, because knowing how to play an instrument doesn't guarantee you're going to be able to play something on the spot when somebody says, can you, you know, play something that goes along with this track? And that takes experience and it, and it takes knowing your instrument and knowing um, not not maybe so much composition, but just to have the um, the ability and uh, belief in yourself, <laughs> and that takes that takes practice. Yeah. You know, um, when people ask me about improvising, I always say, you know, shut yourself in your room, close the shades, you know, <laughs> turn out the lights, light a candle, um, and, you know, and just start playing. You know, play along to some records or whatever. When was a what was a turning point for you? Maybe as a as a student, obviously you grew up as a with a classical background, as many string players grow up with a yeah very um, traditional classical background. But then something changed for you. I started on on the viola, in fact, not on the violin, and you know as many violists do. But I started on the viola, and um, studied privately for a number of years. And I think the beginning of my awakening as a as a a creative persona, I guess, was um, being introduced to the music of Jean-Luc Ponty. I think that he was a major, still is a major influence for a lot of string players. In what way? Just the palette of sounds available to a string player was, was like tripled, quadrupled, you know, to the hundredth degree by listening to him because, number one, what he could, how he could play as a, as a jazz and an improviser. Um, and fusion or whatever other label you want to give it, but, but he also used electronics in his music and he used a five-string violin. And these were, these were new concepts. And when I started entering into that world, there weren't that many 
you know, five-string electric violins to be had. There were very few. There were no violas. Um, the the amount of electronics was very limited still at that point. And you could you could go the route of um, electric guitars and get some pedals and things like that. Or you could, um, you know, go have some analog digital delay or analog delays, and which is the the first route that I went, and I, that was how I started. Wow. So um, Jean-Luc Ponty is one influencer. Do you have others, and maybe someone who's non-musician? Well, um, I I would also put Laurie Anderson in there as an early influence, mm -hmm. and um, just because of the ideas that she had and has, in fact, of you know just a different sonic universe and different ways of approaching, you know what what she was doing with her violin, it was just you know mind blowing, especially at that time. She was, you know created a whole new instrument, and. Um, Listening to you know to other non-traditional type of players, I listened a lot to Turtle Island String Quartet. You know, in the in those early days, incredibly uh, inspiring. And and I just at that point, I just went out and bought as many records, and they were still records, <laughs> LPs at that time, vinyl, uh, Didier Lockwood, and, and folks like that, and just listened to a lot of sounds. Um, I don't come out of the jazz world. I've worked with some amazing jazz people in, in a more um, free style, I guess, and the, and the guys out of Chicago. I worked a lot with Anthony Braxton, Leroy Jenkins, who sadly just passed mm. in, the, in the last few months, and people like that. And, um, and I realized working with them, that was, that's a whole other world and a whole other musical palette that I could really relate to and had been fortunate enough to work with them. Oh, take us to the exact maybe time frame, like a date range in terms of years. Uh, when you started working with electric strings, you've been called a pioneer of electric string playing. Um, I bought my first instrument, which it was a five-string blue Barkisberry violin because that was what Jean-Luc Ponty was playing and that was on the cover of one of his albums. And so um, that was where I started from and I think that was around the, the late 80s. I was in graduate school. And from there it went on to... From what? there, <sighs> buying some electronic equipment to go with that. And I made, <laughs> in the early days, um, <laughs> There's a studio in New York City called Harvest Works Studio Pass, and they had these residencies that you could apply for to, you know, work in their studio. They gave you free studio time. So I made a tape, and the way I made this tape was I had this little um, tape recorder with a microphone, and I had... Um, it's, I don't even remember the tape recorder and microphone. Yeah, that's I don't <laughs> that's even a certain tape. I don't even sure. <laughs> I don't even remember the name of it. it was um, an analog multi effects. I think it had three different effects on it. So I plugged my my instrument into that. Put the microphone in between a set of headphones, so the headphones were coming out of the the analog effects processor. Put the put a microphone in between the headphones and covered that with a towel, and I recorded you know, just five or six improvisations. And I sent that tape in and, and they gave me the residency. 
Wow. <laughs> and that was like a turning point, I'd say, because through that I was able to start re uh, recording some of the pieces that ultimately got on my first CD, An Harmonic Vision. Mm -hmm. So at uh, so after the analog experiment, <laughs> what was the next step? <laughs> the next step was then to um, just start playing, start playing out. That also opened the door to. At that time, they had this festival. Let me see if I can remember the name. Um, festival of Women Improvisers, I, I think, and they accepted my my tape and my proposal to to do a piece and they gave me a whole evening um, in which to present my music and I created a whole, a, a whole new piece that was called Negatives of an Inhibition which if anybody really thinks about it is sort of the inverse of pictures at an exhibition. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, and I never bothered to explain it to the people there if they got it fine if not well and so, you know, it was a, it was a whole evening, and and that sort of um, moved me to the to the next step. A lot of people came to hear me that night that had you know had no idea what I was doing, and so that opened doors to more uh, performance possibilities and composers, other composers coming and and having interest in writing music for me to play, because at that point I was just creating music for myself because. There was really no, you know, repertoire for five-string electric viola or violin. Right. <laughs> As an electric string player, Martha, how did your relationship, your long history with Yamaha begin? Well, um, it sort of happened by accident, I guess, um, because at way back when it must have been, I don't know, maybe nine, nine or ten years ago when I first, my first entree into Yamaha happened, it had nothing to do with strings. Yeah, oh. and strings has only been in existence as a, as a department for about 10 years. Right, right. And at that point they weren't they weren't doing the electric strings yeah. or that whole genre at that time. I was attending um um let's see it was a, it was a demonstration for by the emerging products department. And it was it was at the um Yamaha Artist Services in in New York. And, um, where they have all the pianos, and it was this um, this suit that was MIDI operated called the Miburi, and it was it's a whole other story as to how what I what I was doing there. But I was invited by a friend of mine to see this because there was interest in a in a project which I was involved in. Anyway, 
so we we sat through this this whole demonstration, which turned out to be interesting, and we ultimately used this Miburi suit. It was one of those things where, it, you know, the the person wearing the suit, if they they moved their their arm, there were there was a trigger in the elbow, and then there was a trigger in the shoes, and there was a trigger in their shoulders, and they, it was very choreographic, and and we used it in some some interesting things. But um, I met the head of the emerging products department, which was Carter Schuld at that time. And we were talking and, and he said, and I told him what I did. And he said, oh, by the way, we're in the process of developing this silent violin. Right. Would you be, you know, have any interest in it? And then he didn't have anything to show me, but I, you know, I sent him my, um, my portfolio and, and he sent me a, a photocopy of the you know the Japanese literature that they had on it and you know it looked interesting and I didn't hear anything for a while um, I didn't pursue it and I kept doing my thing and and then out of the blue I got a call from John Whitman and John said would you be interested if we sent you a prototype of the I don't maybe it was the SV-100 I think yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, why not? And they, and they sent it to me in the, you know, the cardboard box. <laughs> I put it together, and I, you know, plugged the headphones into the headphone jack, and I'm playing on it. I thought that's pretty cool. And then they invited me to to do some demonstrations at a couple of different conferences, and um, and then they did this big sort of media blitz, and I was invited to demonstrate it at all these different. Um, media, uh, you know, gatherings for newspapers, and I did a whole bunch of um, news, CBS News and CNN and ABC News and all, all those different outlets where they were, they were showing the silent products. So I would have this, it would, be, it would be this trio with myself and a trombone player with the, um, the mute and Tony Verderosa on the, on the electronic drums. And we would we would just jam, and it was a big you know sort of a a funny thing. Um, we would all be playing away, and nobody could hear what we were playing until they picked up the headphones. Yeah. And uh, so we did a lot of those, and and it was fun. And I remember particularly one event, and the the sign at the door said "Silent Press Conference." <laughs> I thought, well, there's sort of poetic justice <laughs> in that. So I I played that you know for a while, and and I wasn't sure what the plans were, uh, if you know to to develop that any further. Um, immediately though, I had some comments as far as different things. The output on that was a was a, just a mini jack. It was an eighth inch, and I said, well, the standard you know is a quarter inch plug for most instrumentalists and then and it was running on two nine uh, two double um, a batteries and the standard is usually nine volt you know so i gave them my whole list of suggestions and and things like that and i said and you of course have to do the viola <laughs> and they said well we don't really have plans to do a viola model but we're coming out with a cello so the next instrument that came out was the silent cello yeah and here we are having reached the 100,000th production of Stringed Instruments yeah. just this past November. And a lot of thanks to you for giving it's, a lot of feedback and getting the history. products. Yeah. Well, um, I was fortunate also to, to have been asked to go over to the headquarters in Hamamatsu and, you know, 
consult with the with the engineers and the and the people making these instruments. And what was that like for you? Was that your first time in Japan? It, um, it was the second time. Mm -hmm. the, the first time I had been there just um, playing with a, with a group there for a few days. So this gave me a little chance to acclimate to the time change. <laughs> and um, it was one day where I just worked with the designers of the, the silent line. And um, actually they didn't tell me this, but they surprised me with a prototype of the viola. Oh. Which was 15 inches. Uh oh. <laughs> And I said, thank you for designing the viola, but you have to make it 16 at least <laughs> uh, for the rest of the world to play it. I know they, you know, there's, there's a lot of people there that play smaller instruments, but for the most part, you know, generally the viola is at least 16, 16 and a half is pretty common. So they did. They did make it. And then, they, you know, they asked about placement of... The, the electronics and what's easiest to where you plug it in and where's the jack should be and the volume control and very very attentive to that and then the next day I worked with the with the engineers that were just designing the the EV models the 204 and the 205 and and they had um, about a half a dozen or so different prototypes um, of different colors too and I did um, my last day there, I actually did a concert. Uh, Charlie Bricherat was out there with me too, another amazing violinist. And so I did, I did most of this performance where I played on all of the prototypes that they had there. And I, you know, I, I played my music, um, and I had brought some of my equipment with with there, with me. And um, and you know, the whole, all the design teams were there, and a lot of people from the Yamaha office were were there and, and it was a lot of fun and I was you know very appreciative to to everybody there and I, I remember because I looked at the video the other day from that concert and and I'm really glad that I thought to do this I brought all the designers up on stage and gave them a bow <laughs> certainly just so, like you would uh, yeah the uh, the composer of a piece yeah <laughs> after the so performance. Um, that was a real highlight Great. in my relationship with Yamaha and you've got a special instrument that you're playing on right now yes Yes. Well, thankfully, they um, because my special my specialty is is five string. I love the five string, and I've got a lot of different instruments in that. And so Yamaha made um, an extension of the EV two hundred five for me. So they made it the sixteen inch. They put the the extra length on the on the fingerboard. And the low string is. And so, well, here here's the thing. <laughs> I now have because I have several instruments. I have a regular uh, EV two hundred five that is strong. Actually, now I have it strung with octave strings. Oh. So that's now an octave below regular violin. And then I have the other EV two hundred five that's a viola with a high E string. And then I have another instrument that's a viola with a low F string. And I'm going to actually be playing all of those instruments next week. I have a show coming up at a venue in New York City called The Stone. And um, they're presenting me on the evening of my music.
earlier, Martha, you had talked about being New York as the center of your musical universe. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the many hats you wear as a musician in New York. Well, one of the, the things that I really love about the, the musical existence that I'm leading is that, um, you know, one morning I wake up and I'm going to a, a symphony rehearsal and I'm playing Beethoven or Brahms and, you know, have a concert at Carnegie Hall that weekend. And then the next day I go and I, you know, play on a Broadway show, which is a lot of fun. And then the next day I could, you know, be called to go in and play a, you know, Philip Glass film score. Uh, and then the next day I, I'm, you know, I've got my electric viola out and I'm playing my music. So I think I'm really lucky to be living in an area where I can do all those things and they're all valid and legitimate and I'm, you know, making a, a living doing that. And um, I feel very fortunate lucky that, that I can do so. quite a few clinics for string students. Could you tell us about some of the clinics you've developed and anything coming up? Yeah, over the years um, I've actually developed now, uh, I have four different clinics and workshops that I present and uh, going in order, I guess, I'll list them. Um, the first one that I've done is called The Power of Strings Plugging In and that's uh, it's a pretty popular one where I, I bring in lots of different um, instruments and some of the electronics that I use and so I explain to it, it's students some I've also done it for teachers and I've gone in and done it for you know non-music people too um, they have a great appreciation for it just um, showing them my approach to making music and how I use the instruments and the electronics and I leave a lot of time for questions and answers because you know people have never plugged in an instrument before there's a big unknown area like how do I start? <laughs> how do I find an instrument? How do I find, you know, what do I plug it into? Um, what's digital delay? What is, you know, what, are, what is echo? What is flange? What is chorus? Reverb? So I explain all of those things. I give them some insight into, um, you know, how they can start looking for it based on budget and things like that. Um, another one of my clinics is called Zen and the Art of Conceptual Improvisation. And that, um, I've even done that without instruments. <laughs> and it's just, it's building up um, people's confidence about approaching music when there's not these little white, black, you know, white paper with black notes all over it. Um, how, do you, how do you go about creating sounds? And, uh, you know, a lot of it is reaching inside and, and just just seeing where your your soul is in terms of how you approach making music and being comfortable in that. And um, two of the latest clinics that, that I've done uh, and I presented um, last year at the American String Teachers Conference is called Playing with Five, and in parentheses strings, that is. 
and that is really delving more specifically into five-string instruments, violins and violas. There are cellos that exist and certainly basses too, but my specific uh, interest and, and level of expertise, I guess, is with the five-string violin slash viola. And, you know, the whole interest in that is the, the, the instruments that are now currently on the market that are available, a lot of them from Yamaha and, and beyond, um, the electronics that you can use with them. I mean, the, it's just unlimited what you can plug it into. But now there is a shared um, literature that both violinists and violists can play. And so, you know, certainly the music that I've written over the years can be played now by violinists and violists on whatever five string. You can have a, a violin sized five string instrument, you can have a viola sized five string instrument. So that, um, that whole genre has really opened up specifically in the last few years that there's now music available for people to play. And so I, what I do is I, I introduce lots of different instruments because I, I like to show what's available out there and certainly leaves the choices to the people and, and the music that's available. And there are other people writing for five-string instruments, for five-string violin, viola. Um, now, violinists may have to learn alto clef. <laughs> may have to learn that C clef. Um, certainly violists learn treble clef. From, from the beginning, so, um, so that's a growing industry. And um, the other clinic that I present is called Violas on the Verge. And that has to, that's very viola specific, but um, I just realized that there are more and more violists like myself that are branching out and playing music beyond the concert field. And, uh, and I did a lot of research and opened it up, did a lot of searches on the internet and, and heard from people from all over the world. And um, it's really interesting as people doing crossover, they're, they're doing bluegrass and jazz and, and country and, and um, any, any kind of style that's out there. Why do you think, there's, is there a resurgence of viola popularity? Is there something about that middle voice? I think I mean the viola is a special instrument. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it's you know it comes from the soul, and that's how I approach it. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people out there playing it. And I think the more people that understand what it what it can do now, especially with the five string, especially you know you add electronics to it, composers that are writing for it. I mean, you know, thank I always thank Paul Hindemith for you know just like basically doubling the size of the viola repertoire when when he created the whole, you know, all of his works. Um, and now the viola is a legitimate instrument. I mean, for so many years it was, you know, kicking and screaming to, to be a solo voice. And, you know, as soon as you plug instruments in, it's, an, it's a level playing field. You know, I can turn my volume up to 11 just as <laughs> anybody can. So I can compete with electric guitars now, which is, you know, amazing. So, um, although one side note, I have to say, whenever I do play with electric guitars and drums, as soon as we start playing, inevitably the volume creeps up and up, and ultimately I'll just stop playing and look at them. <laughs> and i say, look, down. you guys, okay, <laughs> you know, guitars have, have frets, I don't have frets, you know. And um, my philosophy is always, if you can't hear yourself, then you have to play softer. Exactly. So what is coming up for you with these clinics? Do you have, um, are you going to be presenting? 
Yeah, and, um, it looks like there's a lot of clinics coming up. I'm still waiting for exact dates and things, but I've been uh, been asked by several universities um, and high schools and conferences to uh, to go in there and do different clinics. Um, what's nice is that I don't always do the same one, so it mixes it up, and I get to offer different the different clinics. So we'll see when the uh, when the calendar finally. Uh, emerges, you can see it on my website because I, I post everything on that. Thanks for your support of the Yamaha Strings Podcasts. You can find out more information about Martha by visiting her website at www.marthamook.com.